Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services provider for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools, and data that help power their emerging market business strategies. The focus of today's podcast is part four of a four-part series on effective customer segmentation strategies in emerging markets. Our topic today will be a deeper dive on segmentation strategy number three, profitability segmentation. My name is Richard Leggett, and I'm the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group, and I'm joined in studio today by Dan Cornfield, FSG's Head of Management Excellence Research. As a reminder, this research and all of our content is available via our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com or via your FSG iPad application. Dan, welcome back. Great to be here, Rich. So I just want to frame the discussion for our listeners. We've recently released an in-depth four-part emerging market customer segmentation research series. And today our discussion will focus on the last of those four parts, which is a deep dive on an effective customer segmentation strategy known as profitability segmentation. The first three discussions provided first an executive summary of the body of work that we've done, and then deep dives on two other segmentation strategies, market segmentation and behavioral segmentation. So with that as the backdrop, and I hope I haven't thoroughly confused everybody, including (laughs) you, Dan, (laughs) uh, why don't we get started? As we have with other discussions, I think it's wise to begin with a simple definition. How do you define profitability segmentation and what challenge is it addressing and why should our clients deploy it? What, what is the primary goal? Right. Thanks, Rich. So any customer segmentation approach is basically dividing your group of customers into subsets that you want to treat differently for some reason, right? And when it comes to profitability segmentation, you're dividing them into the subsets which are different levels of profitability, account by account typically. And so what we see some companies do is they have, say, first tier, second tier, third tier accounts, but very often they're actually tiering them by revenue size primarily and not by profitability as a main characteristic. But at the end of the day, profitability is, is becoming increasingly important to the corporate center uh, when it comes to what they're looking for from their emerging markets portfolio. And so the purpose of profitability segmentation is to provide guidance to really help commercial teams all the way down to the front lines to prioritize their efforts with profitability being borne carefully in mind so that they can effectively hit that dual mandate of both growth and profitability at the same time. In your research, you discuss the conventional approach and then innovative approaches to profitability segmentation. And the innovative approaches, no surprise, outperformed when it came to the numbers uh, pretty, pretty dramatically. And I thought maybe you could, you could compare and contrast the innovative approaches to the standard approaches and, and wherever possible, put some, some metrics around it. Absolutely. So, so the most conventional approach to uh, segmenting based on commercial size of an account is just segmenting by revenue right? As I mentioned. Um, But as companies get more concerned about profitability, there's another conventional approach, which is kind of a pendulum swing to let's let's really target uh, on profitability. And then that goes too far and there's revenue drop off and then the pendulum swings back and swings forward. What innovative companies do is they strike a balance that they can actually hold over time and that this avoids uh, this kind of whiplash of change management in terms of how am I being measured as a commercial performer. And there are two pillars, if you will, to striking that balance effectively. So that the innovative approaches are, first of all, to estimate the profitability of each account, account by account, 
And that can sound like a tremendous headache. It doesn't have to be. That's why I would emphasize the word estimate, right? It doesn't mean that you have to have down to the dollars and cents of, of the profitability of each account. But secondly, help guide salespeople to focus their time on the most profitable accounts. And that may mean the most profitable prospective accounts, that they're, the deals that they're trying to close, or um, if, it's, if it's renewable money, the current clients that they can keep in the portfolio. How do you help them prioritize their time based on profitability? Um, and, and the best companies are really providing a balanced signal on this front, which we'll discuss in greater depth here. And at the headline, what does that translate to in terms of commercial results or outperformance vis-a-vis, let's say, the standard approaches? Yeah, so it's it's really quite striking, Rich. The companies that actually estimate account profitability for each sale, rather than just a rough estimate for like, well, this is roughly this kind of account, had a 97% higher portion of their new revenue coming from cross-sell and upsell. So it's natural that the more you're getting your revenue from cross-sell and upsell, the more profitable that money is going to be, right? Because you've already got the mechanisms in place to serve that account rather than the cost to sell to an entirely new account, uh, which can really uh, weigh down the organization. Secondly, when it comes to helping people focus their time on the most profitable accounts, we actually saw a tremendous correlation to commercial outcomes there as well. So companies that do help their salespeople focus on profitable accounts had 54% higher profit margins last year. So um, that's nothing to sneeze at. No, those are, those are eye-opening numbers. You also have done something interesting, and you've done this for each of the three segmentation strategies, market segmentation, behavioral segmentation, and now profit segmentation. You provide clients with a, an interesting framework of how to, how to get started uh, adopting this. And you call this the balanced sales staff performance bands. That's a mouthful. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, it's very interesting. Uh, could you maybe walk our clients through this framework, recognizing that it is a visual framework? So uh, on podcasts, you can only paint a picture uh, verbally, but it's still, I think, quite, quite interesting. Yeah, so the typical performance ladder uh, in the typical commercial organization is performance bands by how much revenue are brought in or percent to target on a revenue basis, right? More sophisticated organizations are adding a second axis to the revenue band, uh, to the performance bands, which is based on average account profitability. And the way to get this wrong is to um, actually require that every single account meet a certain profitability threshold. Uh, That puts a tremendous amount of pressure on a salesperson and ultimately leads to a lot of dishonesty in the system because you're estimating something in the future, how profitable will this account be. You don't actually know how much it's going to cost to serve that account for sure. But you can get around this by goaling them on the average profitability of the accounts they bring in. So that allows them the flexibility to bring in some less profitable, some more profitable accounts. But they're keeping an eye on that line of what's my trend? Am I bringing in, on average, pretty profitable accounts? Or am I going for the low-hanging fruit that's actually not going to bring us in any money for the bottom line at the end of the day? In the research, you highlight three highly relevant best practices for profitability segmentation and some related case studies. And I don't think we're going to have time to go into all three cases. Uh, So I took the liberty to choose two that I thought would resonate well with this listening audience. And I thought we could walk through those. So I want to start with the first one. And the first one is built around a best practice, which is really around how do you estimate account profitability? So Mm -hmm. this fundamental building block, if you will, of this type of strategy Walk us through the case facts here and and the challenge that this company was facing. Yeah, so so Rich, the the company that you're talking about, we call it Fatih Chemical Company uh, in in the report. 
essentially, this this company realized that the classic financial accounting way to estimate profitability was was really inadequate for them. So typically, when you estimate profitability, you're talking about gross margin, and that's just your base price mi- minus your cost of goods sold. But when it comes to the profitability of an account, especially for a service-oriented organization or an organization where there's a lot of cost to sell or cost to serve, the cost of goods sold in the physical product itself might be just a small fraction of how much it actually costs to serve that account. And so what this chemical company did is they said, how can we take into account more of a total cost perspective so that we know the true profitability of each account? Um, and, And furthermore, how can we do that in a way that isn't incredibly burdensome where we don't have to hire, you know, eight more accountants just to try to figure this out? And then what did they do to translate that into sales strategy or segmentation strategy? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the reason they wanted this figure and, and, and the, what they were ultimately trying to calculate is what they call pocket margin. And the pocket margin is what's the money actually left in my pocket at the end of the day from this account, right? The reason they wanted that number is because that's the best guide for their salespeople in terms of saying, how should I spend my afternoon? If I have three accounts I could run after this afternoon, um, I shouldn't necessarily look at the, just the revenue or the gross margin on these accounts, uh, to motivate me or who's screaming the loudest to get my attention, I should really look at how much money is going to be left in my pocket at the end of the day and not just mine personally, but the organization's, right? And that's what pocket margin can tell you. The way that this company uh, calculates pocket margin is actually fairly simple. So there are four things that they look at going downwards in a cost waterfall from gross margin. What are the changes to pricing? So rebates, for example, and discounts that ultimately might maybe pass through my distributors, which are often not considered uh, when, when companies look at the simple version of margin. Staff time, and this is the, the biggest one of the four. How much staff time is it going to take to sell and to serve this account? How can we estimate that? Third, logistics costs. And fourth, receivables. So is there going to be a lot of delay in, in payment? Is this a type of, of customer that we can kind of anticipate that delay? What does that mean for our cash flow and ultimately for our profitability? Staff time is a big one because staff time is difficult to calculate unless you have a time tracking system. So how did they go about doing that? Because I'm assuming they didn't all of a sudden implement a time tracking system and have a rebellion on their hands. I know we would. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So this is where um, this kind of segmentation, profitability segmentation, dovetails with one we were speaking about in our previous podcast of behavioral segmentation. They created essentially a behavioral segmentation framework for their accounts where they could say, on average, these kinds of accounts require a lot more handholding than these other kinds of accounts or a lot more maintenance time or a lot harder to sell to. And so by tagging account types with how much staff time they typically required, they could then provide an, an estimate by saying, okay, this account seems like this kind of account. We're probably going to have to check in with them monthly and fly to see them every other month. Therefore, we can estimate the staff time falls roughly within the, the medium bracket of how much we invest in a, in a, in a relationship. So th- they had a fairly simple way of saying the intensity of the service level required is, is high, medium, or low. And then based on the product type, the profitability was likely to be high, medium, and low. And they looked at the intersection of those things to say, okay, we have nine different levels of profitability profiles we're likely to encounter in any given sale. And so how did this improve their results? 
Yeah, so um, I'm kind of painting a, a pretty picture here, uh, and they did get to a very good outcome, but it, it was rocky along the way, and, and that's that's kind of the exciting reason we like to share uh, what we find with companies with our other clients so that they can avoid some of those pitfalls. I said they had a fairly simple way to calculate cost to serve. They started out with a really complicated one. So originally they had this spreadsheet with like 50 columns in it, and it was just a nightmare. Secondly, when they first implemented this, they, they had a good way of estimating pocket margin when they simplified it, but they overemphasized the importance of profit in the organization, and they saw profit really skyrocket. So they saw like 150% growth in profitability the next year, but the revenue numbers tanked. And so that's where you really come back to the framework at the beginning of our discussion of how do you strike the right balance between these things in the performance bands. Once they got that balance right, they saw their uh, growth numbers increase uh, 20% year over year, and their profitability numbers were also increasing in the 20-30% margin. And that's a really sweet spot. Yeah, those are great results. Many, many companies, I want, I want to turn to the second case study mm-hmm. uh, in the interest of time. Many, many companies develop key account strategies, uh, but they often become stale, mm-hmm. and key accounts aren't always profitable accounts. Uh, and I thought your case study on how to structure key accounts for profitable growth as a best practice was very interesting. Can you talk about uh, the case facts here? Yeah, absolutely. So, so this is a case study from uh, Johnson & Johnson Medical Devices. They were kind enough to tell their story, uh, but also wanted to get credit for their story, which, which is great. So we always offer our clients the opportunity to uh, be profiled in a pseudonym fashion or a named fashion. Johnson & Johnson, they were looking at their key account structure, and they didn't like what they saw. Basically, they saw that their key accounts were ballooning. So the number of accounts classified as key accounts was just getting out of control. And for that reason, the quality of service provided to those key accounts was actually getting severely diluted. So what it meant was that they were paying more, essentially, to have really you know special key accounts managers manage more of those accounts. But those people's time was so diluted across you know one key account manager managing 17 key accounts, how special is that account really going to feel at the end of the day? Right, right. So how did they solve this? The way they solved this was to really go back to the heart of what is the purpose of key accounts for them? And therefore, how can we get more rigorous about identifying who should be a key account, what level of service they should receive there, and be more disciplined about saying not everybody is a key account. And for them, the reason they wanted to have key accounts, of course, customer satisfaction is part of it. But from a commercial standpoint, they wanted to make sure that they were accounts that could really grow their business through cross-sell and upsell. And they also wanted to make sure that it streamlined what would also otherwise be a complex way of serving an account. So if an account is big and it's highly profitable, but there's no real room for growth, uh, they're not about to buy other product lines or expand you to other business units, then they don't need white glove treatment. Um, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to grow your portfolio, give them standard high quality treatment, and that's fine and move on. Conversely, if an account is simple to serve, then they don't need a special account manager. You can keep them very happy and you can cross-sell and upsell that account. So they looked at complexity intersecting with business opportunity and that helped them really refine their definition of what, what really counts as a key account. It's not just the big accounts. It's not just the global accounts. It's the ones that will serve our business purposes. And so that shrunk the ratio uh, of an account manager to a key account from uh, 1 to 17 to something like 1 to 5. Exactly. And that's, so that's a pretty sharp drop and obviously, therefore, needs to pay for itself. Uh, and so what kind of results did this achieve? 
the results that this achieved for them was actually um, in- increases in their customer satisfaction over time, um, which is a little bit counterintuitive, right? You're demoting some clients effectively. Uh, but they handled this in a smooth way where uh, people basically were, were served at the level that they needed to be served. At the same time, and more importantly for the, the original purpose that they set out for, is they saw their cross-sell and upsell expand tremendously. Um, and they did this in part by the structural change that I've mentioned, also in part by a mindset change for the account manager, the key account manager themselves, where it no longer was your job, key account manager, is to keep this giant account happy. It's your, your job is to farm this account and grow and expand it so that the happiness pays off for us at the end of the day. You have other case studies uh, in the report. We won't have time to go through them, but I really do encourage uh, our listening audience to, uh, to read this, and then you know, they can always schedule a subsequent conversation. Uh, but Dan, I really want to thank you for sharing these insights uh, and actually all of your insights uh, across the four parts uh, of our of our series. I think we've barely scratched the surface uh, on, on the one hand, but we've, we've gotten some great insights and, and there's a lot more there. And since I'm the CEO, I'll also include a shameless plug for engaging uh, FSG. Uh, this is a great topic for leadership and sales meetings, uh, and we can certainly build an excellent workshop centered around our customer segmentation strategies. Uh, as a reminder, you can speak to Dan or any member of the FSG research team at any time by reaching out directly or via your FSG client relationship director. Uh, you can also access this customer segmentation research and all of our management excellent research on our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com. This concludes our podcast. We wish you great outperformance across your emerging markets portfolio.